joy to come together and to to sing the, the carols, to, to remember what Christ has done for us at this time of year. And so glad that you're a part of this time of worship today. Before you see, I want to invite you to take a moment, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship and welcome one another to this time of worship today. It is great to uh, welcome you to worship today on the second Sunday of Advent. Uh, just a couple things to uh, remind you about that are in your bulletin. Uh, tonight at 6 o'clock we'll be gathering here uh, for a, a time of worship. Pastor Mike is going to be uh, preaching and uh, we'll just have a chance to, to uh, be together, to worship, uh, some time to pray together. And we want to invite you back to this gathering this evening. Wednesday evening, ministries are on regular schedule. Next Sunday morning, our regular schedule of worship. Just note that in the insert in your bulletin, uh, following next Sunday, the schedule begins to change. And there's Christmas Eve services listed there as well as on into the beginning of January. So just note those service times that are a bit different. Uh, Also, next Sunday evening is our uh, annual gathering to sing Christmas carols. And to uh, afterwards have a time of uh, sharing cookies. I want to encourage you to to bring uh, cookies or bars or whatever uh, to that gathering afterwards. And if you have the opportunity to bring a few extras, we have in the past couple of years packaged up the extras and distributed them through our food pantry. And we'd love to do that again this year. So just take note of that for next Sunday night. Also the Christmas Eve services, uh, notice those and also the Christmas Eve offering uh, an offering we take every year to, for outreach, and you'll notice in the bulletin a list of what that is. number of prayer concerns in the bulletin as well, and uh, we, we just got word this morning that uh, Kathy Moore's brother was killed uh, yesterday or last night uh, at his home. Uh, their home was being robbed, and in the process of that, he was killed. And so we want to pray for Kathy, she and her family. She's heading down to Guatemala where her brother lived. And uh, we want to be in prayer for her and her family at this very difficult time. We uh, also want to, uh, to remind you that there are a couple of booklets in the back. Uh, one about our family tree that has images uh, to remind you of those sermons. And think through that, pray for that. There are prayers in there about that. And also the Advent devotional. I want to encourage you to be following that during the season of Advent as we come together. Our scripture reading this morning is from 1 John, uh, excuse me, it's from John chapter 1, and we're following from last Sunday's scripture reading. It's verses 4 through 13. Last Sunday we were talking about, um, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. So as we read, it's the, in Him, we're talking about the Word. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. 
The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And we will invite the ushers to come forward to receive our tithes and offerings. And children, ages 2 through 5, are dismissed to Children's Church. Pray together if you'd like to come and pray at the altar rail for a burden for yourself or for others, for the world, then I want to invite you to come and to join me.
Father, it is an awesome thing to consider that whole idea and concept of Emmanuel. That you, the creator of all, the sustainer of all, one who is completely other than us, has come among us, taken on flesh and blood and all of its limitations in order to redeem us. Father, we often take for granted what you have done in this world and what you've done in our lives. And we pray today that you will help us to see with new eyes what the coming of Christ means. Father, we pray that during this Advent season that we would hear your voice more clearly. That we would see you more discernment that we would feel you with a new sense of power and that your grace would overwhelm us Father let this be a time of more than than decorations and gifts and family as important as all of those things are. But in the midst of all of that we do, let us see Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. Father, we pray that, that the reality of Jesus Christ in this world would bear on each of our lives. Help us to sense you near in our struggles, in our pain, in our burdens. We pray, Father, that we would sense you near in our grief and her loss. We think especially today of Kathy and her family. We pray that in the midst of this tragedy, that they would know your presence that they would know the power and the support of your spirit and of your people. Father, we pray for, your, for the presence of Christ to be so evident in our world that where there is violence and war, you would bring peace. Where there is hatred, you would bring love. We pray, Father, that you would work in this world during this time in ways that can only be described as miraculous. Father, thank you for meeting with us here today. Thank you for your presence in this time of worship. Help us to have hearts that are continually open to you. That every word we say and every song that we sing and every prayer that we pray would bring glory and honor and praise to you. 
and would draw us closer to you through Christ, in whose name we offer this prayer and all of our prayers. Amen. Try.
Please be seated. It seems to me that uh, people have different opinions about exploring caves. There are some people I've talked to who love getting into to caves and, and going as far as they can. It doesn't matter how narrow the passageways or how low the ceiling, they just love exploring. Other people don't even like stepping a couple of feet inside the entrance to a cave because the claustro- feeling of claustrophobia just begins to just come circled in on them. And, and I, as I was talking to, to some people last week about this, I found that, that people feel very strongly about one way or the other. And I discovered that when I went to Mammoth Cave down in south central Kentucky. I've been there, I don't know, half a dozen times. And, and uh, what I found is our youth group used to go down there at different times when I was in high school. And, and we were always divided into these two camps of people. Some of the people who went couldn't wait to get into the caves. Other people said, I think I'll just wait out here. And, you know, Mammoth Cave is 390 miles of explored caves. It is the largest cave system in the United States, at least that's been discovered. And, then, and then when you go down there, you can, you can take a tour that's a half hour long, or you can take a tour that's up to four and a half hours long. You can take tours where you have to wear uh, helmets and, and lights on them, and you're crawling through all kinds of places. And, you can, and they rate these tours as from easy to moderate to strenuous. And, and there, are all, you know, there are all kinds of things, about 14 tours that you can take as you go through Mammoth Cave. And there... I remember being down there once with some friends in seminary, and I noticed something I'd never seen before. In the, and if you go down to Mammoth Cave, in the bottom of this cave, there's an open area, and they've made a cafeteria out of it. You know, you figure if you're going to be in the cave a couple hours, you're going to want to eat something, and of course, they're always looking for ways to make money. So, so they have this cafeteria where probably a sandwich costs $5 or $10. I don't know what, remember what the prices were. But we were standing in line to get something to drink, and noticed as we were walking along this line that right there was a payphone to, attached to the wall in the bottom of Mammoth Cave. And we were talking about that and one of us had the idea, wouldn't it be fun to write down that phone number and just arbitrarily someday at noon just call it and see what people would do as they're standing in line in the cafeteria in the bottom of Mammoth Cave and the phone rings. I don't think we ever did that, but I thought that would be an interesting candid camera to see how people responded to that. But one of the fascinating things about Mammoth Cave is that you get to this other large area. I've been walking for a while. And there's a place where it's it's wide open and they have benches. And everyone sits down and they turn off the lights. And you cannot imagine that darkness. You're, You're hundreds of feet underground. There is absolutely no light at all. And they're telling you, put your hand in front of your face and you can't see it. And wave it around and and then they start telling you, doing all these crazy things. And you cannot see anything. You know, when we're in the dark, normally our eyes begin to adjust to it. And you begin to see some and make out things. You can't do any of that. It's just pitch black. 
total darkness. Until someone, one of the rangers, lights a torch and, and throws it up onto a ledge and then begins to light up the room again. Every time I read this part of John's prologue that we read this morning, I think about that experience in Mammoth Cave. Because John says in verse 5 that we live in a world of darkness. In a world that is enveloped in darkness. I don't think that's hard for us to, to imagine. Because we have, since sin entered the world in Genesis 3... Our world has been enmeshed in darkness. We see it as we read through the Old Testament. We certainly see it surrounding the birth of Christ. It's always fascinated me that Mary and Joseph come to Bethlehem and whatever the circumstances are, that there wouldn't be someone who would be unselfish enough to say, look, here's a pregnant woman. Why don't we give her our room? And no one, not even family, no one. And when the wise men come to Jerusalem and they talk about a star that may signal the Messiah and and inquiries are made and the religious leaders in Jerusalem say, oh yeah, that's in Bethlehem. They don't seem to care. No follow-up. They don't do anything about it. It doesn't matter to them. And of course, Herod is willing to do anything to maintain his power against what he perceives to be a rival to his throne. We see, encased in that story, darkness. But we don't need that story. We just look around us today. The darkness is everywhere around us. The darkness of injustice, violence, murder, greed, war. The the darkness of of this world is continually pressing in upon us. We, we see it in, in the news reports. We see it as, as we just think about all the things that are happening in our world. The darkness is everywhere. But it's not just the darkness out there. There's the darkness in here. The darkness of our own souls... The sinfulness in our own hearts. Arrogance. Greed. Immorality. Hatred. Racism. Apathy. Self-centeredness. We know all too well the darkness in our own souls. The problem is, I don't think we take the darkness seriously enough. We have a tendency to brush off the darkness and just say, well, what are we going to do about it? But God takes the darkness seriously. So seriously, John tells us, that in the midst of the darkness, Jesus comes as the light. He comes as light into our world of darkness To change the darkness. To dispel the darkness. John says that throughout his his gospel, he he loves this image of of dark and light. He loves to talk about the light. In fact, he talks about light more than any other New Testament writer. In chapter 8, he says, Jesus declares, I am the light of the world. 
Those who follow me will live not in darkness, but in light. And over and over again, John talks about the light of Jesus coming into the world. And the light that that dispels the darkness. John takes this image and he takes us all the way back into into the very days of creation. You know, he begins, as, as Mim said, he begins this, this prologue by talking about Jesus being a part of creation. That creation through him, everything that's created is done through him. And when we go back to Genesis, the very first words that recorded that God speaks, let there be light. And from that moment on, God has said, let light be the image, the symbol of my presence. And so in the tabernacle, God commands that light burns continuously. In the temple, light burns in the candles continuously. That's why we light candles in worship. Because it symbolizes the presence of God. It symbolizes the character and the nature of God. And the light of God coming into this world in Christ. But John takes it a step further. It's not just that the light has come, but the light is more powerful than the darkness. That word is translated a couple of different ways depending on which version you have. In, In a number of translations, it says the light does not understand the darkness in verse 5. And, and that word comes from the word really its core meaning. It has this idea of, of grasping something, obtaining something, getting something that you didn't have before. It's like going to the circus and, and getting a prize. Or it, it is like getting your house from a, a realtor or your automobile from a salesperson. You, you get something that you didn't have before. It now becomes yours. You, it is something that you can now grasp as your own. And you can understand how that would then easily turn into not just something, some possession that you grasp, but an idea that you grasp. Something that, that you now begin to understand. And he says the darkness doesn't understand the light. But the other way of translating that, which, again, scholars will differ about which one is the right translation. But the other way of translating that is the darkness cannot overcome the light. It cannot overpower the light. And what John is saying if, in that context is the light is more powerful than the darkness. And we know that. I mean, when are we most afraid? When, we're, when it's dark. And in the middle of the night, when fear comes to us... Sometimes just turning on a light can, can change fear to a sense of relief. When we wrestle through the night of, of being afraid, something about just the first light of dawn can give us a feeling of security and a sense of, of hope and a release of our fears. We understand what light can do in darkness. Light is more powerful than the darkness, he says. Light has has conquered the darkness. But sometimes it's hard for us to see that spiritually because we want the darkness to to be overcome. We want the light to, to conquer the darkness completely and fully now. 
And we look around us and we see that our world is still filled with darkness. It's not hard to see the darkness. Sometimes it's hard to see the light in the midst of the darkness. But we look around and we see it everywhere. And we, we want the light to come and to totally dispel the darkness. And, and when we get to the book of Revelation, we discover that that will happen. When the kingdom comes in all of its fulfillment and it's ushered in completely, it will be nothing but light. But until that day, we wait. And we hope. And we trust. That's why we need Advent. Because Advent is a time of waiting. Advent is a time when we are forced to to wait, to stop, to trust. That's hard for us because we're a lot like children who can't wait for Christmas. I mean, you just cannot wait for Christmas to come and to open those gifts. And so about a week before Christmas, you begin looking through the house for that special gift. You know, in drawers, under the bed, behind the furniture. And when you find it, you carefully open it up and there's great joy and excitement about what you're going to get for about 60 seconds. And then you realize... That you've ruined the surprise. And you've missed out on all the anticipation. And you've missed out on the joy of opening it in front of everybody else. And experiencing it with them. And there's something in us that wants to keep jumping ahead. We want to rush to Christmas. I think one of the, one of the great mistakes that, that the evangelical church has made through the years, and we're, we're kind of coming back around, is that we have ignored the church calendar. And, and, and we've, we've jumped right to Christmas without the time of waiting during Advent. Because we need Advent. We need to learn to be people who wait. Who wait on God's timing. Who wait on God's purposes. Because it's in the waiting, more than any other time, that we are forced to learn to trust. To believe that the light is greater than the darkness, even when we don't see it. To believe that the light truly has conquered the darkness. That in Christ, who has come and lived and died and risen again and is coming back for us, that he has conquered the darkness. But in the moments when we don't see the darkness, in the moments we don't see the light in the midst of the darkness, it's difficult for us. But Advent calls us to be willing to wait and to trust. John recognizes the difficulty of of perceiving the darkness, of, of understanding the darkness, of waiting for the light to come into the darkness. Because he says in verses 10 and 11 that, that Jesus comes as light into the world and the world misses him. The, wor- the world totally misses it. And we, we sort of should expect that. We, we should expect probably that, that the world that, 
that really isn't looking for Jesus would miss him. I mean, look, think of all the things that we miss because we aren't looking for them. It, it really shouldn't surprise us. What's most shocking is that John goes on to say that Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him. The people who had been looking for him, the people who've been waiting centuries for him to come, miss him. They miss him. He completely goes past them. And you have to wonder, how do they miss him? How is that possible? That that the people who've been waiting and waiting and waiting and building anticipation miss him when he comes. How is that possible? I, I suspect that maybe it's because of of arrogance. You know, we, actually, I know we're in the darkness, but it's not that bad. And we're really doing pretty well, and we've kind of gotten acclimated to it. And actually, what you call darkness, I call enlightenment. We're doing okay here. We're just fine. We don't really need Jesus. Maybe it's, it's the things that have come in life. Disappointments, struggles, burdens. Maybe it's hypocrisy from people who we trusted. And, they, and they've caused us to, to turn our focus away from the light. Maybe it has to do with grasping for power. I mean, Jesus does a great job of upsetting the whole hierarchy of how we define power. He comes into the world and, and he talks about being like little children. He talks about his, his kingdom being for people who, who are sick, not for people who are well. He comes and doesn't, doesn't grasp power, but releases power. And he upsets the apple cart of how the people perceive what it means to be successful. And they don't want to have anything to do with that. And maybe it's about expectations. I suspect it has a lot to do with expectations. I don't think the people were looking for, for the Messiah to come as a helpless baby in a manger. They were looking for a baby to be born in a palace. They weren't looking for this baby, the Messiah, to be born to a common couple. They were looking for the Messiah to be born to royalty. They were looking for the Messiah to be born in the center of the seat of power, not an obscure village. And they were looking for the Messiah to come with clashing swords, not with words of peace. It's in their minds, they, they believed the Messiah was about power. And Jesus came preaching weakness. I think it's one of the reasons 
we are apt to miss Jesus today. Because we, we have so bought into the mindset of the culture and we watch the culture and how it, how it develops and how it defines success and, and how it grows. And we have come to the place of saying, if that's what works for them, that ought to work for us. And so we, we tell ourselves that if we could just get enough influence in the White House, then things would change. If we could just get enough influence in Congress, things would change. If we could just change the whole structure of our court system, then things would change. If we could just get enough laws on the books, if we could just become people who have enough influence and power and, and wealth, then things would change. And sometimes it looks like things are changing. But it's a house of cards. Because the way of Christ is not power weakness. The way of Christ is not trying to figure out how people can serve us. It's trying to figure out how we can serve others. It's not about how we might use people to even good ends. It's about how we can give ourselves even to be used for kingdom ends. And Advent is a time to help us see that. Advent is a time to help us prepare for the coming of the Messiah, for, to see the light when it shines into our world and into our lives. Advent is a time to help us stop and realize that so often our priorities and our desires and how we see the kingdom it is not like Jesus. And that we've missed so much. And we miss the ways in which God wants to work in the world because it's not what we expect. And it's not what we want. And the light shines in the darkness. And we miss it. Because we're enamored with the things that are not the things of Jesus. And the significance of seeing the light is not just having our eyes open to the light. But John says, the light of Christ is life. It is in the light of Christ and only in the light of Christ that we will ever experience life. It makes sense that he would connect Jesus with life. Jesus is it's through Jesus that everything's created then Jesus would be the source of life. And John tells us, Jesus is about coming to give life. And John, who is enamored with light, is also enamored with life. He uses the word life more than any other writer in the New Testament. And he talks, he's going to talk in a couple of chapters. He's going to tell us that Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And a few chapters later, Jesus will declare, I have come so that you might have life and have it abundantly. And it comes through his light. 
Jesus comes so that we might experience fullness of life. What it means to be truly people who live. So we think we know what it means to live. But that's just because we settle for such a, a, a low view of what life means. But Christ comes so that we might experience all that we were created to experience as living creatures. That, that sense deep down in our souls of what we wish life could be. Jesus came to give us that and more. Everything that we can imagine about what it means to be fully alive. Jesus came to give us that and more. And John says this even beyond just living. He says it's about being children of God. Because when you embrace the light of Christ. You receive life. And that life makes us family with Christ. And God looks at every one of us and says, that's my daughter. That's my son. They're mine. Everything I have is theirs. And he offers us the fullness of life that can only be found in him. hard part about receiving the life is that the life of Christ is that because of the darkness in our souls we could never choose light we could never choose life we would never choose God if it weren't for the light of Christ coming into the world and when John says in verse 4 and verse 9 of this chapter that the light was coming into every person it was coming into the world It's what in Western circles we call provenient grace. It is the grace of God that comes into this world so that we can know right from wrong, good from bad, true from false. But it's more than that. It is the light implanted into our souls that gives us the ability to choose God that we otherwise otherwise would not be able to. It is only because the light comes that we're able to say, I I want what Christ is offering. I want Christ in me. And there are different ways of of describing this theologically. And and there are different ways of of imaging what I think John is talking about here. But I'm intrigued by the the image that Jerry Walls and, and Joe Donjel use in one of their books. He said, imagine, imagine a prisoner in the deepest recesses of a terrorist camp. Bound, gagged, blindfolded, drugged. Their mind has all kinds of delusions and, and fears envelop them. They, they, are, they are so lost in this dark damp cell that they they can't cry out for help and they couldn't even begin to plan a rescue in fact they have become so comfortable with this place and they have so identified with their captors 
that if someone were to come and to offer them rescue, they would fight them about it. The only means of rescuing them is divine. And so God in Christ steals his way into the prison and makes his way to the bedside of the prisoner. He injects them with a a serum that begins to clear their mind of its delusions and to ease their fears and, and their violent reactions. And the Savior leans in and whispers, do you know where you are? Let me show you. Do you know who you are? Let me tell you. He holds a mirror, shines a flashlight and holds a mirror up to their face to show them their sunken eyes and their frail body. And he says, look what they've done to you. Look what you've allowed them to do to you. The prisoner remains mute and so the questions continue. And and God says, do you know that I've come for you? Do you know that I've come to rescue you, to make you my own? He says, can I show you a picture of what you once were? Can I show you a picture of the wondrous plans I have for you in the years to come? The prisoner's eyes begin to to focus. And heart begins to beat a bit as as she begins to realize that maybe this is something that she might want. He says, I suspect that that you may may be wondering and concerned and afraid that I've come to harm you. So let me show you something. Look at my hands. They're bloody. I had to crawl through quite a tangle of barbed wire to get to you. And now in this in this new sacred place in in this moment Jesus leans in and he whispers I want to carry you out of this place right now. Just give me your heart. Trust me. Plato once said, we can forgive a child who's afraid of the dark. The great tragedy is men and women who are afraid of the light. In this Advent season, what are we afraid of? Despite the darkness that we may see in our world, the darkness that we may 
see in this body of believers the darkness that we may know in our own hearts. Do we hear Jesus whispering to us? Just trust me. Give me your heart. I've got plans for you. Life plans. Abundant life. Child of God life plans. Will you trust me? Let's take a moment of silence and listen to God's voice. Heavenly Father, how can we begin to express our gratitude for Christ, the light of the world, the giver of life? Father, help us to trust you. Whatever point the light is shining into the darkness of our lives, our thoughts, our expectations, our world. Help us to see the depth of your love for us and the life giving plans you have for us. And we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Please stand and sing with us.
May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore.